this is the, the first Sunday in Lent, so you might imagine that we would spend some time uh, at the beginning of one of the Gospels, <clears throat> looking at the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness where he was tempted, where he fasted and, and prayed uh, and, and did not sin, uh, which is sort of a model for us as we mm-hmm. seek to engage this season. Uh, but actually, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to go to the end of Luke's gospel, and we're going to begin this Lenten season, which approaches Easter with the story of the resurrection. And so I invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. We'll be reading there the story of the two disciples who are leaving Jerusalem on the way to Emmaus. They know that Jesus was crucified and buried. They had heard that the women said that the tomb was empty, but they didn't know what to make of this. And they're going to encounter, well, a stranger along the way who is Christ himself. They won't come to know this, though, until they make their way to the table. So I invite you to listen carefully and listen well, for this, too, is the word of the Lord. That very day being the day of the resurrection, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you were holding with each other As you walk, and they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And they said to him, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. When they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening and the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. 
and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, the one who finds us and walks with us along the way and opens the scriptures to us so that we might understand all things concerning yourself. We pray all this in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So here's the story of the resurrection. It's an amazing, amazing passage. <clears throat> and so let's, let's just kind of walk through it once more and, and find the highlights here. Um, notice that what has happened it's, uh, it's the day of the resurrection. It's three days after Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. Three days after these two disciples, whom we meet along the road, had all of their dreams crushed, all of their hopes for Jesus' redemption of Israel trampled down. You can see it in their posture. Very rarely in the scriptures do we find a description of person's emotions. And here, when Jesus draws alongside them, though they don't recognize them, he asks what's going on, what are you talking about? And they, they stand still. They're walking, but they stop. <coughs> and they look down, and they are sad. You can imagine what they're grieving. They're grieving the loss of everything they had hoped for. They thought all this was going to turn out differently. They've been following. They're obviously disciples of Jesus. They've been following Jesus for a long time as he healed, as he taught, as he uh, cast out demons, as he did all kinds of things, proclaiming the kingdom, calling people to repentance. And they saw this massive response to him. Crowds and crowds, hundreds, thousands of people were beginning to follow Jesus. They had high hopes for what he was going to do. But then as they say, their own religious leaders and authorities were the ones who had him condemned to death and then crucified. Everything that they had been hoping for, they thought, was no longer a possibility. So they, what are they doing? They're going back from Jerusalem, this place where they have come to be reinforced in their belief that death and sin rule this world. And they're trudging home, dragging their feet, staring down at the ground, sad, because more of the same was just more of the same, and sin and death rule the world. <clears throat> but as they go, as, as they make their way back, back to a place they don't know what their future is going to look like. So make their way. A stranger joins them along the path. Of course, we know it's Jesus. Their eyes are kept from recognizing him. And notice what he does. Jesus doesn't pop in and start answering all their questions. He doesn't join up with them and say, well, here's where you're wrong and here's what you need to do differently immediately. 
He asks with questions. He leads with questions. So often when we meet Jesus in the scriptures, he's asking people questions. And he asks them, (laughs) what are you talking about? What seems to be the problem? Why are you sad? And he lets them tell, tell him why they're sad. Too often we just get into right and wrong, I think. That is obviously extremely important. But our relationship with Jesus can often become you did well or you did poorly, good job or shame on you. Jesus doesn't lead with that. He draws near in the midst of their grief and suffering and loss and he asks them to tell him about it. Though he understands it far better than they do themselves. And as they do, then the time for a little rebuke comes. It says, foolish one, slow to believe. Do the scriptures not tell us about the Messiah, about the one who must come and suffer and die, and then so enter into his glory? And then he stops and he goes through Moses and all the prophets. Moses is shorthand for the Pentateuch. Genesis, <coughs> Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. <coughs> The law, the beginning of the Bible, first five books of the Bible. He walks him through all of Moses and then all of the prophets. I mean, it's a long walk, right? So Jesus is telling them about how all of these things point to him, really. Who is the Messiah and how he must suffer and die so that he might then enter into his glory. So that one way of life ends and another kingdom and creation begins. He's telling them these things. And as we find out later, as he does, their hearts began to burn within them. But then they come to the end of their journey. They come to the place which they call home, the town of Emmaus. And Jesus makes as if to continue on his way. But the disciples say, no, 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 no. The day's far spent. Come, come spend the evening with us. There was something about him. And they did not want him to depart. So he enters into their home. And it says, when they sat down at the table, Jesus, as we know, spoke the same words, did the same liturgical actions that he had done in the upper room three days before. He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. If you didn't know that this was communion, now you do. He took it, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. And as they received it, what happened? Their eyes were opened, and they recognized Jesus. Then he vanishes. It had to have been a little frustrating. He vanishes. But then what do they do? Do they say, ah, we'll go tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow. We'll go back and tell them. No, that very hour they got up and went all the way back to Jerusalem, retracing all their steps back to the apostles and said, he is risen like our Easter refrain, indeed. He is ri- Christ is risen indeed. And we've seen him. And they told the apostles all about their encounter with the risen Lord and the last lines of our passage, how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. That's Easter day. That's the day of the resurrection. That's how Jesus chose to encounter his disciples and the church. 
And not only is this the first Sunday of Lent, it's also the end of this series that we've been doing on worship. As we've taken the pieces and the parts of the liturgy and shown how they, hopefully, how they connect and how there's um, being called out of the world and being gathered together, being drawn into the word as we confess and wash our hands and then as we are uh, given to speak the word who is Christ and then led to a table and then sent out into the world. And this text for me has become like one of the most clear examples of what worship is. Every time we come together here on a Sunday morning, we live out and we enact ourselves. Sometimes we're not even aware of it, but we act out physically and liturgically that story. Luke 24. You are reliving the experience of the disciples gathered together where two or more gathered in my name, there I'm with you. You're living out the experience of the disciples on resurrection day. And so, entering into a new creation. So let's, through the lens of this passage, let's take just a moment and look at how those, uh, those stages and steps unfold. Because what you're seeing here in the scripture is what we're doing here together. So first of all, when you come to church on a Sunday morning, it is the, what day of the week? Sunday. Sunday, which is the first day of the week. <clears throat> Meaning... There is the end of a week out of which you are being drawn. In the same way, the disciples are stepping out of Jerusalem, pointing in a, another direction. They're stepping out of a world in which death rules and reigns, and sin seems to have the final word, and Jesus is put to death on the cross. They're stepping out of that reality, though they're not fully aware of it. I hope that gives you a bit of comfort. They don't actually know what's happening here. Maybe we don't fully understand either. They're stepping out of that world into the new creation where Jesus is risen. They've heard about it. The women went, the tomb was empty, but they don't quite know what to make of it. They're stepping out of the world of sin and death, out of Jerusalem where Christ is crucified, and they're moving on the first day of the week into something new. Okay, that's the same thing we're doing. You're stepping out of a week that, well, has been marked by sin and death. Both in your own life, in the world around us, there was a very long list of prayer requests we had this morning. Many of them involved death, and some of them involved sin. We live in that world. We're stepping out of that world, actually, when we come here. And step by step, we're entering into a new sphere, a new kingdom. I hope it's okay to recognize that you might be a little sad about that. The disciples were downcast. They were grieving the loss, the hurt, the difficulties that they had faced, and the ways that that had impacted their lives and their hope for who they would be and what the world would become. And if we're not sad about earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars, death and destruction and the sin in our own hearts and how that impacts people around us, then we've missed part of the story. That's why we gather together and we pray the prayer of confession. We confess our complicity in that world of sin and death. And we express our regret and our sorrow over the part that we've played and also how the world is marked by these things. So we enter in, stepping out of that world into a new world. We confess our part in it. We grieve over it. And yet, guess what happens? 
What do we confess happens when we come here? Where two or three are gathered in his name, Jesus has promised, I will be with you. Even says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. When God's people are gathered together, and we're missing a few this morning, I think, but guess what? There's more than two here. Jesus shows up. As we're seeking to leave behind, just like Lent is an opportunity, as Lindsay said, to leave some things behind, to clean up some clutter, to step into a new way of mo and mode of existence with God, so too when we come here every Sunday, we're doing the same thing. And as we enter into that together, Jesus shows up along the way. And we don't always recognize him. I asked this, this morning at 9 o'clock if, if anybody had seen Jesus with their physical eyes this morning. And Emma, one of the, one of the <laughs> kids, was like, yep. I was like, well, you need to be preaching instead of me standing up here. <clears throat> we don't always see Jesus with our, with our physical eyes. Yeah? We don't always recognize him when he shows up. Sometimes in the lives of those around us. Sometimes in a kind word from a friend. Sometimes in an act of service. Sometimes in that still small voice which motivates you to care for someone else or to call and to check after church is over. You okay? You doing all right? We don't always recognize Jesus, but Jesus promises that he will meet us and be with us. And that he wants to hear. I mean, we spent the whole first part of the service praying. He wants to hear those things. He comes with questions. He wants to know about you. and wants to know about your life. And the things you're going through and the struggles you have and the opportunities that stand before you. And he walks with you. And he talks with you and he calls you by name. And yet there's also a point where Jesus moves from listening to speaking and invites us to move from speaking to listening. And that's true in prayer as well. And most of the time I chatter away at God and don't spend much time listening. Maybe you do the same. But there's a point we're invited into that change, to that switch, when we open up the Word, beginning with Moses and the prophets and all the Scriptures, and we listen to what Jesus has to say to us. As He opens up the Scriptures to us, we meet Him there. <coughs> and His presence is made manifest in a different way. And sometimes that coincides with our hearts burning within us. Not always, but I bet you've had that experience before. When the word was opened and the gospel was proclaimed and the name of Jesus was spoken and suddenly, for some reason, and unexpectedly, within you, at the very core of who you are, you heard God's love for you and His forgiveness for you and His plans and His purposes for you and your whole life began to melt away and all the concerns that you had that you thought were so important just seemed to disappear and it was you and Christ and it was God apprehending you and drawing you close and your heart burned within you and your perspective was changed. The disciples had that experience and though the destination was the same in their minds at the beginning of their journey, in fact, their arrival there was completely different than anything they had expected. And so when we gather and worship and the scriptures are opened, and we're like, yeah, we're receiving communion today, but it might be different than you had anticipated. 
the eyes of your heart might be open so that you too can see the Lord because when they welcome him in and he sits at table with them and he takes the bread and he blesses it and breaks it and gives it, their eyes are opened. And that unarticulated burning within their hearts which led them now became clearly visible in a new way. A way that reinterpreted everything they'd been through up until that point. And so they rushed back to say, to enter back into that world that they thought in the, in the beginning was marked by sin and death's victory. And they went back with a different word. And like, actually, that's not true. Because we've met Christ and He's raised. He is risen indeed. A new creation's begun. A new kingdom is available. We've met Jesus. It's different than you thought. That's what we do in worship. We come to this table. We ask, first of all, for the last number of weeks, we've asked Jesus not to keep on going, but to remain with us and to stay with us and to feast with us. And we've come to the table for a couple months, actually more than a couple months now, every Sunday. And Jesus has been faithful to meet us and to uh, enable us to feast upon him and to experience union with him and then sends us back into the world. That's what we experience here. But I, but I want you to see that this isn't just a biblical story of Easter morning as important as that is. It really happened. This isn't just something that we participate in as we gather as the church and enact and embody every Sunday, as important as that is. I also want you to see that this is a basic pattern of how you can encounter and, and experience anything in your life, any circumstance that you enter into. So let's just take Lent for a moment. Um, Lent is this season set apart where we're trying to leave behind a world of sin and death as that's made manifest in our own lives and hearts. We're trying to get rid of certain things, to leave them in the dust, and to embark on a new journey with the Lord Jesus. Now, that part should be clear enough, I think. Um, but I think it's also appropriate. It's the first week. It's appropriate to grieve those things in our lives or in our families or in the world which are marked and muddied by sin and death. You know those things within you. And I think it's right also to express grief over those things to Jesus as he meets you and walks with you along this path. It's also right, even as Lindsay's opening the windows in the spring, to open our Bibles because there is where Jesus promises that he will be walking with us and instructing us on how those changes in our own hearts and lives can take place. But all of that is shaped by the goal, by the destination, by the purpose that stands behind it. And that's why we're starting with resurrection even on the first week of Lent. Because I want us to be clear about the goal. The goal of all of this is union with Jesus. The goal of all of this is communion with God so that we can actually be in communion with each other. That is the goal. That's why we give certain things up. That's why we open our Bibles. That's why we walk with the church these 40 days. And that's why we do it together and not just separately so that we can know communion with God and Christ. That's the pattern of Lent. Um, that's the negative aspect 
in part, because we're setting things aside. We're giving things up. We're negating certain aspects of sin in us for the sake of something better. But there's also a way in which you can imagine this in a positive sense. Because every time you embark on a new journey, a new path, a new relationship, a new job, a new anything, a new week, the same basic pattern plays out. Part of the problem for us is that we get drawn into so many different purposes in our lives. Many of which aren't the ultimate goal. The opportunity that Lent provides, that the pattern shown to us in worship provides, that the scriptures open to us, is how to maintain our goal. Our goal which is union with God in Christ. Our goal which is a participation in his life and his mission to the world. Not separately as Lone Rangers, but together as the church. So, because our church is embarking on a bunch of new stuff right now, I want us to think about that carefully for a minute. So here's like four examples. First, next week sometime, we're going to be embarking, I guess, on a lot more new journeys because a 15-passenger van is showing up (coughs) at the church, which will be opportunity for us to do things together, uh, to get to bring people to church or to events, to go out in times of fellowship and so on. I think you could imagine, what if, you know, here's this new, it costs $41,000. Like, that is a lot of money. Yeah? But the mo- having enough money isn't our main goal as the church, is it? We're having more money all the time. That's not our goal, so Okay. But then let's, let's say, could you imagine, what if everybody next week said, oh man, now that there's a church van, I can go to Sam's and I can load that whole thing up with stuff for my pantry. And what if everybody had the same goal of going to Sam's at the same time with the same van? Well, then you get frustrated if you don't get the van when you want the van. Because everybody has in mind this purpose that's important to them. And yet it's really not the ultimate purpose, is it? This is a silly example. I know that won't happen. But the van isn't about money. The van isn't about us (coughs) having opportunity to go shopping or or just having an extra set of wheels. The van's purpose is what? Honestly, it's union with Christ. That's the purpose of a church van, that we would have another tool that would help us grow in union with Christ and his mission. So maybe we used to bring people here, right? The, the goal is to be at one with Christ and his mission so that we can also be at one with each other. And so, I don't know if you've ever been like on a, on a, uh, on a school bus uh, going to a sports game, but that was a lot of my young life, and it was so fun, so fun. And I can only imagine that van offering the same thing maybe to the kids of our church, maybe to the seniors as they go to plays. I don't guess this one, but maybe the next one. You know, it's its own environment where you're going to be able to grow in relationship and fellowship, but it's not about just a play, right? It's about union with Christ. And we can take any circumstance, any new thing, and that helps clarify the goal, right? Which, as we backtrack, helps us identify the purpose that we're shooting for. Another example, in a week or two, we're going to have a new church app, like for your phone, right? It's going to be a place 
where we'll have a, a daily scripture reading. This, this there, you just have to check it. It'll take, give the reading plan. Here's uh, half a chapter and a psalm for the day. We could all be reading scripture together. There's going to be a calendar with news and upcoming events. There's going to be opportunities to connect uh, within committees or small groups and message one another back and forth and lots of other things. The purpose is not for us to get tied up even more with our phones. as a problem of mine already. The purpose is not, I mean, we do live in Newland, don't we? Like we're not going to be on the cutting edge of technology here, right? That's not the purpose either. The purpose is union with Christ. That as we're connected more with the body within the church, we can better carry out the mission God calls us to, and we can love him more fully. We're taking a mission trip to Nicaragua. Jonathan's really excited to go. The point for Jonathan uh, in middle school is not for him to be able to go to a new country and have an awesome vacation and eat food he doesn't usually eat. That's not the point. Or the pr- He's going to have both of those things, and I hope he has such an amazing time. But that's not the ultimate purpose. Yes, he does need to have, hopefully the food he eats settles on his stomach well, because sometimes that's an issue in other yeah. places. But the main goal is so that he can go to a place outside of Jerusalem that he's familiar with and encounter Jesus on that whole journey along the way and have that journey interpreted to him as we gather around the Bible together every day, both with our group and with others from Nicaragua, and as he experiences participation in God's mission in a place far from here and learns things that will shape his Christian life once he comes back in ways that he couldn't have experienced if he'd remained in this place. The point is union with Christ in his mission and with his person. And finally, committees. Those aren't always the most exciting things in the world, but we set aside a bunch of them during the COVID years, but now we're sort of reintroducing some things and kind of putting some building blocks in place. Finance committee, building and grounds committee, mission and outreach committee, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The point of those committees It's what? You should know by now. Union with Christ. Participation with him in his mission and his purpose. That is the clarifying goal. It is not so the building and grounds committee can just be in charge of the building and grounds. That's not the purpose. Or make a bunch of rules that are going to be, you know, that's not the goal. The goal is to be good stewards of this space so that it too can participate in God's life. So that we too can have an environment where people can grow in love for God and neighbor and the great commission, and the great tradition. The goal is right here. If you're wondering what it is, it's at this table. It's union with Christ so that we can be sent out to participate in his mission in the world. So why don't we ask Jesus not to keep going on his way this morning? Why don't we ask him to stay and to feast with us? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.